All right, we're going to get started now. I want to start us off with a word of prayer. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Great Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for uh, our awesome supper tonight. We're thankful uh, that we're able to have that as a church family. We're thankful for the fellowship that we have. We're thankful uh, for our time tonight of Bible study. I, I pray for, for every class that's meeting tonight. I pray for the kids' uh, classes, for the adult classes, for the youth meeting across the way. I pray in all of these things that we'll be true to your word, that we will uh, hold up the truth of the Bible, that we would be trained tonight, we would be taught tonight, that for all of us a foundation will continue to be built and stacked upon. And I pray that that would bear fruit. I pray that we would look like you. I pray that we would be grown as, a, as an individual, grown as a church. And I pray that you'd be pleased in the effort. I pray that you would lead us, that you would speak. Uh, I pray for our nation tonight. I pray for its leaders I pray for wisdom. I pray for, for our church tonight, Lord. Bless it, use it, uh, stand at the center of it. I, I, I come and I tell you, we're thankful for, for all the many good things we have. We, we praise you for that. We trust all of this to you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to get started on our Bible study tonight. Tonight we are in uh, starting our 68th lesson. Uh, we have moved now to the gospel accounts. We've gone through the birth of Christ We've gone through the baptism of Christ, the temptation of Christ. Uh, now we've entered into a section of his public ministry. We're going to have uh, quite a few lessons out of that section of, a, of the gospel accounts uh, looking at the public ministry of Jesus. Our lesson tonight is entitled, Time to Repent. Time to Repent. Our verses tonight are found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. I'm going to go ahead and just read those right now at the start, and then we'll come back and break them down and look at them. So Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 12, says this, Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken to Isaiah the prophet. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's our set of verses tonight. That's our our focal verses, and we'll, we'll again come back and break those down looking at them. Our key point tonight, if you have our, your worksheet, uh, as Jesus' public ministry proceeds, uh, we see it is a proclamation ministry. He is proclaiming the truth of who he is. Uh, he is preaching the truth of who he is, so it is a proclamation ministry. As the truth of Christ, of Jesus, is made known, uh, there is a response uh, to that truth that is called for. Uh, that very simply means this. The truth of the gospel requires a response. If this is the gospel, if this is who Jesus truly is, uh, then there is a response to that. And so it's not just the passing on of information. It's not just the giving off of facts, but it is the pre presentation of the truth of Christ so that we can make a response, so that they would make a response as well. Well, as we think about uh, Jesus and his claims, and we're starting to see it more and more every week, 
Uh, we should also consider what the correct response would be if those claims are true. So if Jesus is who he says that he is, if this is the truth, he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, if that is the truth, then what should people's response to that be? Uh, which means this, if Jesus is our Savior, is there something we should do? Is there a certain way we should respond? Uh, if there is, then what should we do? How should we respond? And then the other part of that is, just the flip side of that, what does it mean if we do not do those things, if we will not do those things? And so, if Christ is who he says he is, there is a response to be had. We're going to see what that response is tonight, and then we're going to see what happens if we do not have or do not make that response. All right, that's the point to our lesson. Uh, we're going to move into our verses now. The first section is entitled on your worksheet, No Coincidence. No Coincidence. All right, chapter 4, uh, starting in our Bible study tonight in verse 12, says this. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. All right, this is really just setting the stage for what is happening here. Last week we were in a different gospel account, and so it kind of touched on it. But here uh, in this gospel account, this is setting the stage. Um, John the Baptist had been preaching against sin. That is the way that you prepare people for Jesus to receive the Savior. They have to understand what sin is. They have to understand the penalty, the payment for sin. And it's then and only then that they'll look to Jesus as a remedy for their sin. And so you have to understand, a sin bears a punishment. That punishment is death. Uh, sin is, is a, an affront against God. It breaks our relationship with God. And when you understand sin, uh, then you'll turn your eyes and look to Jesus as your Savior. Well, John the Baptist has come. His ministry has been to prepare the way for Jesus, to make straight the way for Jesus. And the way that he did that was to preach against sin, to call the nation to turn away from their sin. Well, uh, as he does that, as sometimes happens, uh, he upsets the wrong people. And it's kind of interesting, if, if you preach a certain message to the wrong people, uh, it generally stirs up things and, 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 and bad things, harmful things, uh, harsh things. Well, he's preaching against sin, uh, as he does that, what he is preaching condemns or brings condemnation to King Herod. And for that reason, he is captured, John the Baptist is, and he's put in jail. So verse 12 just says, uh, he has been taken, he has been placed in jail. Uh, as Jesus hears of John's arrest, the Bible tells us here that he withdrew into Galilee. Now the, the Greek word for, for withdrew means very simply to go back or to depart. And so here's what happens. He is in Galilee. He is in his hometown of Nazareth. He goes down uh, to Jerusalem. At that point, he is baptized. At that point, he has his temptation. But as he's there, he hears of the arrest of John the Baptist. And so he goes back to Galilee. He goes back to Nazareth. And so it's as simple as that. Uh, he has come down. Uh, we've studied some of the events that have occurred when he came down, and now because of he hears of the arrest of John the Baptist, he goes back to Galilee. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, 
in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali, uh, having preached in the synagogue at Nazareth. Remember that was last week. He goes back to his hometown. He preaches there in the synagogue at Nazareth. Uh, they do not receive him very well. Uh, some of them hear the message. They're amazed by what he says. Uh, but, they, but they start to say, well, isn't this Joseph's son? They start to have questions about that. And so he leaves his hometown and he travels about 40 miles to the city of Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum was, was predominantly a fishing town. Uh, that was the main industry there. It was on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this town, he leaves, he goes 40 miles to Capernaum. Uh, this town actually becomes his home base. And so really for the rest of his public ministry, uh, this is where they go back to. This is where they come out of. And this city of Capernaum actually becomes uh, their home base, not just for Jesus, but for the disciples who follow him. So they're kind of stationed there in the city of Capernaum. Um, the Bible makes a point to tell us, and it's, it's pretty awesome, uh, that the city, this city, was in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, understand this. Those are two regions that are assigned uh, in the split up of the promised land to the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember, they get into the promised land. They're going to split up the promised land. And so portions are ascribed or given to uh, the tribes of Israel. Well, two of those areas, the tribe of Zebulon got this area. Uh, the tribe of, of Naphtali got this area. And so it says that, that the, those areas encompass uh, this, this area where they're at at this point. Uh, it's interesting to see this. Nazareth was in the area of Zebulun. And so Nazareth is in the area of Zebulun. Capernaum was in the region of Naphtali. Now I'm going to go one verse further and we'll keep going on that idea. Let me read 13 again. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Verse 14. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Now, here's, here's what that means. About 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah, how you're going to know this is the Messiah, is that he's going to come from these two areas. Uh, he even, 700 years earlier, added the description that it would be by the sea. So he says it'll come from the area of Zebulun, it'll come from the area of Naphtali, it'll, he'll also come from an area by the sea. Um, I want you to think about that for just a second. What that means is this, every piece of this is scripted by God. Every piece of this, it's not happenstance, it doesn't just happen, every piece of it is scripted by God. Now I want you to think about how marvelous or how, how radical that, that whole thing is. What if I were to say, hey, you're going to know this person because they're going to come from Kroll. You're going to know this person, they're going to come from Kroll. But they're also going to come from East Texas. But they're also going to come from Nebraska. But they're also going to come from the Great Lakes by the sea. And you're going, well, see, here's the deal. You can either come from Kroll or you can come from East Texas, but you can't come from both. And if you come from Kroll in East Texas, for sure you're not coming uh, from Nebraska, and for sure not by the Great Lakes, by the sea. But look at this. 
What does the Bible say? It says he'll be born in Bethlehem. He will come out of Egypt. He will come from the region of Naphtali. He'll come out of the area of Zebulun. He will even come from the sea. And guess what? In Christ, all of those things make sense. Born in Bethlehem, goes to Egypt, goes back to Nazareth, comes out of Nazareth, goes to Capernaum. And so he actually comes out of all those things and just to make it funny, he says, and it's also going to be by the sea, and that's true as well, the Sea of Galilee. That is a marvelous thing to me. That's a mind-blowing thing. 700 years. You know, you might guess one of those things. He, he's going to come out of something, and you might have that prophecy, and it might come true. But, but there are odds enough to say, this Messiah is going to come from all of these places, and 700 years, you can say, he actually did come from Bethlehem. He actually did come from the Sea of Galilee, and all of those things be exactly true. None of this is coincidental. Coincidental. It's all part of the gracious plan of God. All right, verse 15, moving on. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Let me read that again. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. Right, the specificness of that description uh, really is mind-blowing, except it's coming from the Word of God. It's coming from God Himself. And so when I hear that, you go, if you want a description of the ministry of Christ, and you read that, people that are lost in darkness, people who are in the shadow of death, uh, all of these things, that's a tremendous description, uh, mind-boggling, except that it comes from God Himself, from the Word of God Himself. What a description of the gospel that is. Uh, read those verses. People that are sitting in darkness, uh, people that are sitting in despair, people that are sitting in the shadow of death, uh, out of that darkness comes the light of Jesus. Think about that. Not, not from the temple in Jerusalem, not from some religious family. It says in this dark area, in fact, the land of the Gentiles, that a light's going to spring up. That is a perfect picture of our gospel. There is hope. There's an answer. Uh, there's the light of Jesus. When I hear that, uh, I start thinking about verses in John where, where Jesus says, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is a picture of the gospel. I want to read the two verses again. Think about that as I read them. Again, 700 years before the birth of Christ. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land in the shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. All right, moving to the last part of our, of our study tonight. And that is verse 17 on our worksheet, the Savior's Sermon. The Savior's Sermon. Let me go and read verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so see what's happened. He goes back to Galilee. He goes to Nazareth. He preaches in the synagogues there. He travels 40 miles to the city of Capernaum. This is going to be their home base. When he goes to Capernaum, a whole bunch of prophecies are fulfilled. And at that time is what it says. He, from that time, Jesus began. And I want you to understand what that means is this is the start of something. This is what he's going to do. If you begin something, it means you're going to continue doing it. So he began this. And so at this place, this is going to become his pattern. And this is the start of what he is going to do. Um, the word preach means proclaim, herald, or publicly announce. Uh, it, it generally means to make it known. Sometimes we think, well, preaching is standing right here and preaching. Uh, it could be that, but preaching has a bigger sense than that. If you go to your office and tell four people uh, to buy a Honda car, you're preaching the good news of a Honda car. If you go to somewhere and say, I went to the best steakhouse, and you tell 13 people, and it was awesome and it was great, you're preaching about how much you like that steakhouse. So it just basically means, simply means, to proclaim, to herald, to announce, to make known. And so uh, he is now preaching, and it may have been in a big setting, several times it was, but it may have been one-on-one -on -one, or it may have been to a small group. He begins to publicly announce, preach this message. Now, understand this message then, if, if you preach a message, you want it to be known. And that's just, that's just how it works. If you don't want something to be known, then just be quiet. Don't say anything. But when you start the process of preaching, proclaiming, announcing, heralding, the result is you want people to know. So understand, as Jesus begins this proclaiming ministry here in Capernaum, the point is that it would be heard, that three would hear it, that nine would hear it, that 200 would hear it, that 14 would hear it, that it would be heard, that it would be known, that it would be understood and be received. All right, so that's what he's doing. Here is the message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, he might add more words to that. He might have more uh, words of description. He may put it in different contexts. But that is the premise of the message. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is what the message is. He has begun to, to preach it, proclaim it, let it be known, uh, and that's what it is. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, the message of Jesus was to repent. Now, in their understanding, their context, uh, in the Old Testament, they've been called to repent many times. As a nation, they would get haywire, they would get crazy, and they would get called to repent. Uh, they would go the wrong direction, and a prophet would come and call them back to repent. So they understood a call to repent. Now that was part of their national identity. They would just mess up and you know what, we gotta repent, we gotta get back. This is different however because now there's an added incentive and that is the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, but the reason now is because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Think about this, in Jesus, 
the king has now come. So the kingdom has a king. Uh, in Jesus, the work of salvation uh, is now taking shape, taking place. Uh, he's living his sinless life. He's announcing who he is. He's going to go to the cross and pay for sin. Uh, all of those things are taking place. The, the kingdom of peace uh, is being ushered in in him. There's no peace outside of him. The kingdom of righteousness is being ushered in, and it's going to be his righteousness. And so the kingdom is coming in, and the king has showed up, and righteousness uh, is rolling out, and, and his, his, his means of salvation is, is moving forward, and the, and the kingdom is at hand. Well, here's what it says. Because of that, the proper response is to forsake their sin and turn to Jesus. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. If this is the truth, then there is a response. If, this is, if he is who he says he is, there's something to do. Well, he says in his message what to do. Because of who he is, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they are to turn from their sins, forsake their sins, and turn to Jesus. That is the message of Christ. That is, that is what he says. Repent, uh, turn to him. At that point, I think we need to have, and I, and I think um, maybe this is another word that falls into a group of church words or religious words that we're familiar with, uh, but we don't have a, a great grasp on it. So what does it mean when he says repent? Now, what does it mean for us to repent? Do we still have to repent? If salvation is by faith in Christ alone, uh, shouldn't we just have faith? What does repentance have to do with it? Why does Jesus say repent? Are there two things we should do? It also says obey in other places. Are there three things we should do? So what does it mean to repent? Uh, what does that mean to us? And we're going to talk about that for just a second. Now I want you to listen very carefully. It's kind of deep. As believers, we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. There's no two ways about that. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we have eternal life. That's how we're forgiven of our sin. That faith, however, listen very carefully, has a shape. And that shape is repentance. Now, I'm going to try my best to explain that to you. The word repent means to turn. And that's, that's generally how we understand it, to turn. And so if you're headed one way, to repent means to go the other way. You're going, you're going north, to repent would mean to go south. It means to turn. It also means, and this is the most literal translation of it, to change your mind, to change your mind. The most literal definition of the word repent in the New Testament is to change your mind. Now, think about that. That does, that does make perfect sense. If I'm changing my direction, it's going to be because I've changed my mind. And so if I'm headed south and I turn around and go north, it's because somewhere I changed my mind that I wanted to go north and no longer south. It most literally means to change your mind. So, listen to this. As we trust in Jesus as our Savior, I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He has lived a sinless life. I believe He's paid my penalty on the cross of Calvary. I believe He is resurrected from the dead. As I put my faith in Jesus, He is my Savior. Uh, my, my sin's going to be forgiven alone in Him. As I'm understanding that, as I'm trusting that, we're, I am changing my mind about a lot of things. Now listen, when I put my faith in Christ as my Savior, 
I changed my mind about the world. Now, this world is not my home. Uh, this world is messed up. This world doesn't have my reward. I won't find success that's going to last in this world. And so as I'm seeing Christ for who he is, I'm changing my mind about the world. Here's something else. As I'm seeing Christ for who he is, I'm also changing my mind about myself. You know what? I'm a sinner. You know what? I need a Savior. You know what? I don't have my answer. I can't do anything to help myself. And so where I may have been saying, what, I'm arrogant and I've got an answer and I can, I can do what I need to do and I'll do enough good works, uh, I'm changing my ideas, my mind about myself. So we're, we're putting our faith in Christ. We're changing our minds about the world. We're changing our minds about ourselves. Here's something else. We're changing our minds about sin. As we see Christ as the Savior for sin, the remedy for sin, as you see Christ as he's paid for sin on the cross of Calvary, let me tell you something that happens. You start to hate sin. You start to regret sin, and it becomes a growing thing. I don't like my sin. I don't like your sin. Um, you're sorrowful over sin. You regret sin. And so where you used to say, well, you know what, it's all right. It's not that big of a deal. I'm still doing all right. You start to change your mind about sin. And then the biggest is this. When you put your faith in Christ, you're changing your mind about Jesus. He is my hope. He is my anchor. He is the way. He is the truth. And that is my new mind uh, about Jesus. So as we are seeing Christ for who he is, as we're recognizing him as our Savior, guess what we're doing? We are changing our mind and we are repenting. The natural definition of the word, to change your mind. So let me say it like this. Faith is expressed as repentance. Faith takes the shape of repentance. Now let me, let me tell you where, where some folks go different directions here. There are some folks and they argue that we repent and then we believe. And they say that's how it works. You repent and then after you've repented, then you believe. Others say we believe, and so now since we've believed, we're going to repent. Here's, here's what I believe. I believe the reality is, on the definition of the, of the word, that these two things are expressions of the same fact. And let me, let me try to explain that to you. I believe these two things are expressions of the same fact. I wrote this down because it's kind of weird. As you believe, and if you believe, you're in the process of repenting. And as you repent, and if you repent, you're in the process of believing. And I think those two things are feeding each other like that. Let me read that again. As you believe, and if you believe, you're in the process of repenting. And as you repent, and if you repent, you're in the process of believing. All right, so let me say this. Now, that's kind of hard to understand, but I think it does make sense. Let me, so let me say this, in that understanding, in that understanding, if that's the understanding, then there is no saving faith, there is no true belief if there's not repentance. If there's not true change of mind toward yourself, toward Christ, toward sin, toward the world, if there's not true repentance, there's not saving faith. Now, let me, let me try to explain that to you. The Bible tells us that the demons and Satan 
believe in Christ. Do you know they know he's the son of God? Do you know they know he's the Messiah, the Christ? They know. Satan knows. But you know what? He's not saved. You know what the difference is? He believes a set of facts. He's never repented, turned his mind toward Christ. The demon's the same. They're lost. So that, that is the difference. If there is a, a person and they don't care about sin and they don't care about their sin, they don't care uh, to walk in it, to, to roll in it, uh, they're not sorrowful over that sin, doesn't mean we're not going to sin, we're going to sin. Doesn't mean we're not going to fall back into terrible sin. Sometimes we do that. But if you go through life and you know what, I don't care about sin and I don't care that Christ died for it and I, I, don't, I haven't turned my mind about that and I haven't turned my mind away from the things of the world, turn my mind, my, change my mind about who Christ is, if there's not repentance like that, then there's not saving faith because those things are the same thing. As you're seeing Christ, you know what? My mind has changed and I've put my mind on the hope that I have as Jesus as my Savior. So in that understanding, it's clear to see why the biblical call and the call of Jesus, and still for us today, is to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we hear that, I think we go, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's not, we're, we're saved by faith. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same expression, the same shape, turning your mind, seeing Christ for who he is. It is faith. That is why it is still the biblical call to repent and, and be saved. The kingdom of heaven is near. All right, one last thing. What about people who would say, well, repentance is then a work. And so you have to work, you have to repent in order to be saved. And we know we're not saved by works. Uh, there's nothing we do to be saved, no good work. And so some folks would say, well, if you explain it like that, repentance is a work that must be done in order to be saved. Some would go further and say, well, so is obedience. Some would go further and say, well, so is baptism. So now you've made this work. Um, here's what we would say to that. Um, a work is something you do. Uh, repentance is something we believe, we hold. Um, it's our understanding of Christ. And so how, did, how does repentance not become a work? I, I don't have to prove I'm regenerate. I don't have to go 91 days and not sin. I don't have to go 14 days and not sin. What I have to do is go this. I see my sin. I hate my sin. I see Christ as the penalty uh, payer for my sin, and I've turned to Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. Uh, so it, it is the expression of faith. It is, it is the shape of faith. All right, we're going to stop right there tonight. Glad you are here. Pretty deep stuff. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful we can study it. I'm thankful we can memorize it, look at it, consider it. I pray that tonight's just a piece of what we'll do this week. Uh, I pray that we'll be people of your word, that we'll hold that standard. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, that as we hear your truth tonight, um, as we believe, and we say, Lord, we do believe, but we hear that guy say, yes, but help my unbelief. Lord, I do repent, and I turn from sin, but Lord, help me repent and, and continually walk in repentance. 
You are our king. You are our hope. You are our savior. You are the Christ. And so I pray, Lord, that the shape that you take in my heart and in my mind is the shape that you show me in Scripture, perfectly lining up with your truth. Lord, I pray for some that are hearing tonight, maybe that are understanding this for the first time and understanding who you are. I pray, Lord, that they would grow in your truth, that they would hear your truth, that any hindrance would be removed to their receiving your truth. I pray for us that, that are believers. I pray, Lord, that some of us could take confidence that it's a finished work in you, uh, that some of us could be maybe convicted and, and, and know we have to step out of this world. We need to, to, to turn from our sin and, and turn to you. And I, I pray that both of those things take place. Again, I pray for all of our classes meeting tonight. I pray for the kids. Uh, what an awesome thing for them to learn tonight. What, a, what an awesome thing to learn at this age tonight. I pray for our youth that are in the process of having uh, the truth plucked out from under them, pulled away from them, having it questioned uh, even as it goes in. I pray, Lord, that a foundation is built for them. And then I pray for us as adults, Lord, help us to grow in your truth, love your truth, and then we're thankful for you. Um, the Savior of Isaiah, uh, the Savior from Capernaum, uh, the Savior of the cross, and our Savior tonight. Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here.